The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jellich. Today, we share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your addiction recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Be sure that your anonymity, sorry, be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. And so please go ahead and let us know what's on your mind. We would love to hear from you. Our show today is titled, How Recovery Works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Thus opens the chapter in the big book titled, How It Works. And although the book goes on to describe the 12 steps in some detail, what might it all look like if we, quote, zoom out a bit and talk about how it works in a broad sense? Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on working a successful 12-step program, focusing on the spiritual principles underneath it and the wonderful things that happen when we do. So we'll begin today by sharing our experiences of that uh, being lost uh, before we found this program, and then we'll move into the solution of a spiritual approach to recovery. After the break, we'll share exactly how that spiritual approach to recovery helped us to move from being lost to finding our way. So, Dan, what was your experience of that being lost sort of in life before you found recovery? Um, You know, when I think back about it, I would have to say being lost and not knowing I was lost, which is sort of another way of saying (laughs) that, you know, so the, the, the alcoholic, the addict, is the last one to realize that there's a problem, right? I've heard that said yeah. a lot, and I definitely had that experience. And so I had no real sense of what was happening, meaning, you know, I, I didn't realize how much of an issue my drinking was becoming. You know, partly that's because just given my particular path, you know, I was a, I was a daily drinker for, I don't know, 
15 years before I got sober and 15 years before that, I would say I was a, you know, weekend started off, you know, some, sometimes, and then it became some weekends and then it became every weekend. Then it became every weekend and then some other times, sometimes, and I'm talking about over a period of almost 30 years, you know, half of which was most definitely daily. And so that's a long time for something to slowly change and become a problem. In fact, I don't know that I could point at a moment in time where it went from being okay to not okay, you know, because things shifted so much. I mean, I could point at the, the time in my life when I started drinking daily. I'm pretty sure that that happened around uh, when I got divorced in my uh, 20s. Uh, I can't do math. A long time ago, <laughs> you know, 25 years or so ago. So, OK, but then that's nice. But really, you know, there's no moment when everything went from being OK to not OK or or to, you know, having a, a good sense of my life and myself to being what I might call lost. So this experience of having no real sense of how how uh, significant the problem had become, uh, you know, describes a large part of it. So being lost, quote, being lost in active addiction, one thing that means for me is not really getting it, not really seeing how far it had gone. Yeah, it's so interesting because our experience with that is so different. You know, my drinking really only uh, spanned about maybe a, seven or eight year period really starting in my teens and high school you know by 24 years old I was sober so I it, for me it was much more the uh the issues in my personal life um that were causing me the problem and the alcohol was something that I was using to try to cope with that to try to numb out from that it's kind of like you know we have these you know uh, so many of us share these common issues right basically being in pain in some way, being in emotional pain. And then we start drinking and then the drinking becomes the problem, (laughs) right? So that's kind of what you're describing. I hadn't really gotten to the point where the drinking, the drinking was definitely becoming the problem, but it wasn't the primary problem yet. I was still struggling mostly with uh, my own personal issues and interpersonal and relationship issues and things like that. So I, I don't have that same experience, you know, um, at the height of my drinking, I was, you know, in graduate school pulling straight A's and I was that kind of control drinker that was like, you know, I got to get everything done, get my house clean top to bottom, get that 15 page research paper done. And now I can sit down with my bottle of Chardonnay and my Billie Holiday CD. That was, that was my, you know, I had everything very compartmentalized and very controlled. Now, like I say, I was very young and I I know that that I would not have been able to continue doing that forever. You know, that would have, that would have changed over time, but that was, but the problem was I just, why was I drinking in the first place? Why was I doing that? You know, why did I start? Why did, why was I like a sophomore in high school and started, you know, scavenging my mother's cupboards to find alcohol to, you know, mix all together in some disgusting combination (laughs) and then add cranberry juice on top and try to drink the whole thing. in one of those big, huge glasses we used to have back in the eighties, you know, like from seven 11 or something. Why the heck was I doing that in the first place? You know, I was in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of emotional pain. I, 
suffered from chronic low-grade depression that I didn't know I had. Um, I had no spiritual life at all, so I had no higher power, no sense of a relationship with God. I was basically alone in life and had no way to solve the problems that I had. That was uh, that feeling of being lost for me. You know, I'm remembering back. I, I, I mean, there's part of me that I knew I was drinking a lot. I don't mean to imply I was completely oblivious. I didn't know how serious it was, but I, you know, I knew I, I drink more than most people. I get that, but um, you know, things seemed fine. Quotes. Everything seemed fine, and that was fine with me. You know, because what's the last thing we want to do is realize that this is a serious problem and that I actually need to do something about it. I don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. I don't know anyone who has quit drinking unless they had to, you know, like that whole, uh, um, you know, you you can have my bottle of tequila when you pry it out of my cold dead fingers, that kind of (laughs) view, you know, unfortunately it didn't go that far and I'm, I'm glad about that, but you know what I mean? Nobody, I don't know anybody that quit. I didn't quit because I wanted to. I quit because I had to, you know, it, 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 it became a matter of life and death. Like this is not going to work. And even yeah. I knew that, yeah. you know, I is the, the one with the problem. Good Lord. By the time I know about it, um, it's, it's, it's gone pretty far. So I knew I was drinking a lot, but everything seemed fine. That was fine with me. One thing I tried to do, and I think, uh, you know, this this has almost become a joke in the rooms because so many of us tried this. So I tried to regulate my intake, right, by yeah. switching switching from liquor to beer, right, because beer has less alcohol in it. And therefore, <laughs> by some alcoholic logic that, you know, that was going to somehow be better. Right. And, you know, and it would sort of work for a little while, but then not really. And then I realized I could drink just as much beer as I need to instead of uh, liquor. It was just more of a pain in the butt. It was more trouble. I had to go to the bathroom more often. (laughs) Right, exactly. So, I mean, that's that's one example of being lost in addiction recovery meant that my solution was, oh, I should just drink beer instead of liquor. That'll solve the problem. It's interesting. You said most of us don't quit until we had to quit. You know, I, I didn't get to that point with the drinking, but I did have to quit drinking in order to be able to even begin to deal with the underlying stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I was going to counseling and I was trying to figure out why I had these, you know, chaotic relationships. And um, that was not getting me very far because uh, the drinking was overlaying all of it. And I wasn't going to get anywhere until I removed that. Um just a a little aside here speaking of tequila what is with this hand sanitizer these days that smells just like jose cuervo (laughs) i haven't encountered that i've noticed oh my goodness but not the cuervo smell every time i go into trader joe's they're like squirt squirt and i'm like whoa having you know (laughs) out having flashbacks to you know my days in mexico or something i'm like that hand sanitizer is so strong it makes me want to have like a lime and salt with it you know (laughs) (laughs) I like that. <laughs> I don't know. Check it out. It smells just like tequila to me. Yeah. So um, the alcohol had to go in order for me to begin to deal with the other stuff. And so the other stuff is really what was causing me to be lost. As I mentioned, not having a relationship with a higher power, not 
not having, not being connected to a deeper meaning in life. You know, I, um, my mean, the meaning that I had in my life revolved pretty much around achievement and, you know, getting good grades and, um, getting those sort of exterior accolades and stuff. I'm a three on the Enneagram. So I do like the, um, exterior, uh, approval and, you know, kudos and all of that. Um, but, but then having that sort of emptiness inside and trying to trying to create meaning for myself through relationships with other people and through, you know, working myself to death and that kind of thing and ultimately feeling still pretty empty. So, um, you know, probably that was probably a big reason why I drank. And I certainly don't mean to imply that the drinking wasn't becoming problematic because it absolutely was. Like I said, ultimately the alcohol becomes a problem in itself, right? And when you add alcohol to already chaotic relationships, let me tell you, it wasn't pretty. (laughs) It wasn't pretty. So things were getting pretty bad. But, you know, I had no spiritual solution to life's problems. Basically, I had no spiritual life at all. I had nothing. You know, I was a um, self-declared atheist and intellectual and, you know, existential, whatever, you know, just I thought I didn't need any of that. It wasn't I had rejected anything spiritual in my life and uh, was relying on entirely intellectual things to give meaning to my life. And that only could get me so far. So I was definitely using alcohol as a numbing agent and as a coping mechanism, probably self-medicating anxiety and depression that I didn't know I had. Um, and, you know, how do you how do you characterize? I mean, self-medicating meaninglessness, really yeah. self-medicating that feeling of not, you know, what the heck is this all for? What am I doing? What there, you know, uh, achievement and exterior uh, accolades only gets you so far I certainly can get a long way with those things because like I said I am a three and I do enjoy that but um, not having any connection to God or any connection to myself or just not feeling good in myself and so you know when you don't feel good in yourself you don't want to spend too much time there right Right. spend too much time in myself and in my own feelings so alcohol was a way to make sure that I didn't have to spend any time there as soon as I got all my work done you know, I had my friend the bottle of dry Napa Valley Chardonnay because, you know, I'd like to drink with class. <laughs> I did try to switch to wine also. And I really don't like wine, but that's no barrier for me. And the, the my, my my final thought on this was I was not talking with anyone about any of this. I really didn't have those, you know, the skills. I wasn't, I was, I was introverted and very unlikely to go to someone and say, gosh, I'm really having a hard time with this, or I feel bad about that. Or what, you know, I was just not saying anything to anyone, which, um, you know, was isolation and certainly doesn't help. But so now that we know about this challenge of being lost, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. Yes, and given that the 12-step recovery really is at its core a spiritual program of addiction recovery, we find spiritual principles at the heart of every step along the path. 
And the principles that can help us find our way out of active addiction and into a manner of living that works can be summarized by the phrase, how it works, and the chapter. And that's what we want to focus on today. But in that uh, chapter in the big book, uh, a whole lot of things are covered and too much to try and summarize briefly. But what we can focus on is the spirituality underneath it all. And that's what we want to look at here together today. So, Michelle, when you think about a spiritual approach to recovery, what comes to mind? Well, what comes to mind is it's so interesting that people talk about the spiritual part of the 12-step program as if there was like some little piece of it that was spiritual that you could just take, you know, take out of the rest of it. It really is a spiritual program um, through and through and spiritual, not necessarily religious. It could be religious or not, depending on one's orientation, but spiritual meaning it's about our own spirit, right? It's about getting in touch with ourselves. Ultimately, the 12 steps are a program of self-discovery and self-understanding. You know, it's really delving into what makes us tick. Why do I behave this way? Why did I drink? Why did I have addictive relationships? Why did I use X, Y, or Z substance? Um, What's really going on underneath? And there's really no way to avoid that part of the program that sort of is the program right and so it's really getting to know ourselves and um you know taking that moral inventory of ourselves um and finding out what's really going on underneath and then you know learning to accept and love what we find right the good the bad and the ugly and we do that by sh- by discovering those things, admitting them to ourselves and to our higher power, and then sharing them with someone else. And when we share them with someone else and that person gives us that unconditional love and acceptance, we learn to extend that to ourselves. And that is really where the healing begins. I mean, for me, alcohol, as I said, was really running from myself, not wanting to spend time alone just with myself being present to myself and so um i you know it's that process of undoing that habit of avoiding ourselves by really going directly into the fire and looking clearly at what who and what am i and then um like i said beginning that process of learning to love and accept myself and extend compassion to myself and compassion to those parts of myself that I deem unacceptable. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because those the we talked about the good, the bad, the ugly, the ugly being the parts we don't want to look at. Um, I've learned that they're not inherently ugly. It's just that there's uh, some work to be done around them. And I love how you Um, Talk about compassion because that's the path. That's the path to, um, you know, taking those things we don't want to look at and finding, uh, you know, a a way to to heal them. Yeah. So that they're no longer, you know, these ugly things, but we can see sort of what was underneath it the whole time. Mm -hmm. When I think about a spiritual approach to recovery, um, I feel fortunate in that I had found unity before I got sober. Yeah. And so I was learning this, this whole concept of spiritual principle was new to me 
well into my adulthood. I mean, I must have been, uh, you know, over 40 when I walked into a unity church for the first time. And uh, over 40 when I first began to hear about this whole concept of, quote, spiritual law, you know, spiritual principles, these immutable concepts that were true for everyone everywhere all the time, and and that if I knew about them um, and I could begin to find them within myself or observe um, their activity, if you will, in myself, that I could come into alignment with them and uh, get, as Eric Butterworth might say, in the flow, you know, in the flow of life, get in the flow of life. And man, does life work way better when I'm in the flow of life because I'm at least conversant with these spiritual principles. And, you know, that plus my willingness to live according to them, which is, you know, equivalent to my willingness to, as we say, let go of that, that which no longer serves me. A phrase I like, but I have to say that makes it sound really easy. Yeah. You know, of course I would let go of things. That's like, what is that like taking the trash out of my car? Of course (laughs) I want to let go of the things that no longer serve me. Oh, wait, I love them and I'm going to fight every step of the way. Oh, that's, that's, there's some of those too. Um, But still it it is um, releasing that which no longer serves me. Like, you know, using alcohol to cope with life, um, for example. So a spiritual approach to recovery um, means, and I I feel like I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what you were saying, it means addressing the whole thing, the whole system, Mm -hmm. not just the the external behavior of drinking, but everything that's underneath it, you know, one piece at a time, um, having some distance from it now, having some sober time, it's easier for me to look back and see it that way when I was in it. It was just like, tell me what to do next. That's all yeah, I need exactly. to know. I don't need to understand how all this works. I don't need to be able to draw a line between all the dots. Just tell me what I need to know so that I can be okay today, so that my brain can heal. And then maybe, you know, I'll begin to understand the spirituality underneath all of it. So spiritual approach to recovery, um, very much in line with unity principles. And really, it's the only way that I could see, like you said, a 12-step program is a spiritual program. It could be religious if you want it to be. And I totally get where someone who's atheist or agnostic or someone who has real resentments towards traditional religion, which I totally get, um, would instantly see, as soon as the word God pops up, oh, this is a bunch of those crazy, um, you know, disingenuous uh, religious people. Yeah. Well, no, not really. You got yeah. to be willing to take a little bit of a closer look than that. There's right. a whole lot more going on than that. Uh, and hopefully, yeah. you know, people would, but that's, you know, that's up to each of us. We could right. run screaming if we want to. Yep. And trust me, I would love to find an excuse where this is, will not work for me so that I don't have to do the work. Yeah, exactly. And whether someone gets sober with a 12-step program or some other way, whatever, I don't care, as long as it's a deep-running solution. That, to me, yeah. is the crux of it. You know, whether it's a particularly 12-step or not, I don't think that matters as much as, is it holistic? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, like I've heard so many people say, you know, I came to AA to learn how to stop drinking and what I found was a way to live, yeah. you know, and so ultimately it's it's how to live, not knowing how to live was our problem. It, you know, the drinking was just a part of it. And so once, you know, you were talking about letting go of those things that don't serve us, sounds really easy, but when you start to try to let go of them, you realize that they were serving us. They were serving to sort of hold the whole thing together, you know, like the alcohol was. And you think the alcohol is the problem. I thought the alcohol was the problem. Then I removed the alcohol and found out that the problem was still there. <laughs> Not only was it still there, it was somewhat worse. <laughs> Because there wasn't alcohol sort of smoothing the whole thing over, you know, and that's when the real work began for me. So it really ended up not being about stopping drinking so much as it was about starting, you know, to have a new, finding a new way to live, how to live, how to live without the alcohol, the cigarettes, the whatever other various uh, behaviors I was using. So it's sort of a good thing that we don't know when we come into the program, and I guess we're busting that for people that may be listening to us, but it's a good thing that we don't understand the extent of how holistic and pervasive the whole program is when we first come in, because we're sort of, you know, it would it would feel, it would probably feel like it was too big and too much, you know, so that's why we take things one day at a time. You know, we don't, we, we come into the program to stop whatever the active addiction is that's uh troubling us and then we find that it's a whole lot bigger than that yeah one day at a time is a spiritual concept in itself yes you know these things sound so uh maybe trite or cliche but wow as we delve more and more into them we find out how deeply spiritual they are you know i lived my life way out in the future What's going to happen tomorrow? I lived in a lot of worry and fear because I thought I needed to be in the future worrying about things and figuring things out. When I started being told that I didn't have to worry about things because, number one, I had God on board. God as I understood God. Um, and number two, I didn't have to live in the future. I could learn to live one day at a time and live in the present. And that completely changed my life. Uh, again, it, it all goes together because how do we live, how do we learn to live in the present? We learn to live in the present because we do come to believe in a power greater than ourselves that we know is directing and managing not just our own lives, but in fact, the whole universe. And so it was a coming to believe not just in God, but coming to believe that it was a spiritual universe. Not yeah, just it's a that power that kind of underpins everything. All I wanna, of it. I want to make a connection there because the power greater than ourselves is that I learned that phrase in, in 12-step. I quickly recognized was what I called the Christ within, right? Then unity, that's what we call it, that, that divine presence that is within us is a power greater than ourselves. It doesn't say a power outside of ourselves, although right. it's that too. It's a power yeah. greater than ourselves. But let's hold that thought because it is time for a short break and when we come back we'll continue the conversation we both hope that you will please stay with us we are spiritual beings having a human experience 
Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back indeed. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with our co-host, Reverend Michelle Jelich. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind. Well, prior to the break, we were discussing, first of all, that being lost, what that was like being lost without um, a spiritual program of recovery. And then we talked about just that, what the solution is, um, that spiritual nature of the 12-step recovery program and what that means to us. So now that we've discussed being lost and we know that the answer or the the solution to being lost is this spiritual approach to recovery, how does that all work, and how did using a spiritual approach to recovery lead you to finding your way, Dan? You know, I, I want to continue with something that, that I talked about just before the break, which is this concept in unity that we call the Christ within, yeah. right? So the Christ within is a phrase that, a phrase that we use to uh, point at the divine presence that we know and believe is at the center of every person, everything perhaps, but every human being, you know, whether we realize it's there or not. And of course, that phrase comes directly from the Gospels, because we see Jesus as one who fully recognized and embodied, you know, and really um, lived, fully lived that Christ's presence within him. And, And in unity, we differentiate Jesus, the person from the Christ, which is the God presence. in Jesus. And we recognize that we all have some of that. Now, granted, we're still working on it, right? You know, we're not expressing at the level that Jesus was expressing, but um, it's there nonetheless. So the Christ within as a power greater than myself was super helpful. And um, as I mentioned before, the the guideline in 12-step is a power greater than myself, which most I notice, take to mean a power outside of myself. Right. Well, I mean, I get that, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's a, it comes down to sort of what do I mean by self? You know, I mean lowercase s self, a power that's greater than my thinking mind, you know, my, yeah. my constructed sense of who I am. And in unity, as we recognize the divine presence within each and every person, we realize that itself is a power greater than my small sense. You know, the Apostle Paul used to differentiate these things with the spirit and the flesh, yes. right? And in, in unity, it's the absolute realm and the relative realm it is the it's the world of matter you know a a material reality that we can see and touch around us that's one thing but then the spiritual reality which is a a non-material reality that is underpins everything including the material you know that dichotomy is present and expressed in many different ways and that's what I saw, that's what I realized is there that I can um, pursue 
uh, recovery supported by a power greater than myself, and that power can be the divine presence that I find within me. Now, that's not to say that this divine presence isn't isn't also everywhere else. It is everywhere yeah. else. It's everywhere always, in fact. But where I experience it is within myself. So it's yeah. not only within me, like it's not in you, it's everywhere always. But I turn within because that is where I can encounter. That's where I can have a personal encounter with the divine, is yes. within my own experience. Absolutely. I love that you brought that up about Jesus. Um, you know, and, and it helps me to differentiate sometimes when I, when I refer to him as Jesus the Christ instead of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sounds like it's his last name. Jesus the Christ reminds me that we call him the Christ because he ha he was fully realized in his Christ self, as you said, and lived from that place, acted, uh, you know, daily from that place of being fully embodying the Christ. Um, it's funny because I was just preaching about this on Sunday about the difference between Jesus and us and that we believe in unity, that we all have the capacity to do what Jesus did. We could become fully realized in our Christ selves, but most of us are not at that level. Most of us are not doing it. And then I said, um, you know, is anybody here enlightened today? You know, <laughs> and somebody in my congregation raised their hand. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we got one. We got one. You know, I don't think he knew exactly what I was saying, but it was a funny moment. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to ascend today. I'm still very much... <laughs> Yeah, and another way to uh, differentiate that, which you were mentioning, is um, our higher self from our ego self. That's what I like to, or our material selves. Yeah. Um, I talk about that a lot. It's a very useful distinction for me. And I love what you brought up about this whole idea of God or the higher power being outside ourselves versus within ourselves. And of course, from a spiritual place, we know that it is both and it's, it's all that and more. But here's what I think happens. You know, when we come into spirituality or come into the 12 step program, we're not real fond of ourselves at that point. We're kind of frankly disgusted with ourselves and a lot of the things that we've been doing. And so this idea of locating God within ourselves, it's not something that we're really ready to stomach at that point. And I think yeah. that's why, you know, initially it is easier for us to locate God outside of ourselves. What's within has not been working. In fact, we're feeling like what's in is kind of rotten, right? So the last thing we want to do is locate God there. So it's easier to locate God out there somewhere healthier and, and, and feeling like something out there that's not rotten to the core is going to come in and help us. And like I said, it's both and because God is also out there as well as within, not just within ourselves, but also within everyone else. You know, it's it's hard enough to locate it within ourselves, let alone to locate it within everyone else as well, right? And so I was thinking that it's a process, you know, from locating God out there, the more we come to heal those parts of ourselves that we feel are unacceptable, the parts that we have uh, submerged, repressed, you know, that have become part of the, our shadow, um, the more we can heal and bring those things into the light, the more we can begin to locate God within ourselves as well. 
But initially, I think that's a really tough concept for someone new to spirituality or new to recovery to um, to grasp. You know, it doesn't feel right locating God within myself. But over time, we can begin to see that God is both within and without. And it's it's a process. So, uh, you know, as we're always talking about on this show, our concept and understanding of that higher power grows and shifts and changes over time and is constantly in flux anyway. Uh, One of the big life changers for me was, as I mentioned in the last segment, coming to see the universe as a spiritual place um, and coming to see it as a friendly place. You know, that this was a spiritual universe governed by spiritual principles and that it was a safe and friendly and benign place rather than what I felt it was a hostile and dangerous place that I needed to be constantly fighting against. So when people would tell me, you know, it's it's all going to be okay, or just trust God or just let go and let God. That was so huge for me. Um, to begin to see the world as a safe place and that um, ultimately it was all going to be okay and I could relax into that and I could begin to let go of that control, that grip that I had on life, trying to make everything happen the way I thought it needed to happen and begin to let go of that self-will and and just relax into what you were talking about, that flow, that flow of the universe. I didn't know there was such a thing. So part of the spiritual, the spiritual nature of the program for me was just that whole change of how I viewed the world that we live in and the universe as being a friendly, benign place. Another thing that comes to mind when I think about how, you know, how did working a spiritual program of recovery uh, kind of help me find my way to sober living? One reason is that it gave me somewhere to turn when I wasn't sure what to do. Now, mm-hmm. I could make a list of places to turn when I wasn't sure what to do, including other things that I'll talk about later, sponsor and um, others in, in the home group and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, even uh, alone in the middle of the night on a desert island, I can uh, do what we in, what we call in unity, turn within, yes. right, which just means focus my attention on the eternal, right, the divine, um, and I do that by encountering it, as we've been talking about, encountering it within myself. Of course, yes, it's everywhere always, but I I can intersect with it, if you will, within my own self. So working a spiritual program of recovery uh, gave me somewhere to turn, you know, when I wasn't sure what to do. Uh, turn within. Inquire within is another fun phrase we have about <laughs> it. You know, seeking, if I'm seeking to... Um, heal my life or seeking healing in my life, I can inquire within and uh, kind of have a wordless experience of a divine presence, which in, in itself is healing. You know, there's really nothing that I have to do other than become willing to be still enough to turn within. It's almost a stopping doing is the is kind of the task, if you will, um, about we talk about, uh, you know, we want to be a human being, not a human doing. And it can be hard for me to stop, you know, stop thinking, stop solving problems, stop figuring stuff out, stop, yes. you know, uh, you know, deciding what perspective to use or whatever, and to simply be. 
yeah. is uh, a challenging thing. And again, we've talked about this a lot. It's a practice. It's a spiritual practice. And it's a practice because we practice it all the time. I mean, we don't graduate from um, the practice of prayer, right? We don't graduate from the practice of turning within. Or for that matter, in 12-step terms, we don't graduate from the practice of one day at a time, right? Which is, like you said, a spiritual principle unto itself. Yeah. And so a spiritual program or recovery give me a lot of tools, including what to me is the primary one of turning to that Christ presence within. And and like you were saying, you know, Jesus is a name. The Christ is a title, right? Yes. And it's Jesus, comma, the Christ. Jesus, who was the Christ. Christ is uh, from the Greek Christos, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed one, right? right? Anointed means drizzled with oil. And so the Christ is the drizzled one. And literally, (laughs) that's what the words mean. But we know it means much, much more than that, right? It's not the simple action. Is what does this represent? What is underneath all of this? You know, we have the ritual, the drizzling of the oil to anoint, but that's just a, a, a stand-in for what really matters, which is what's going on in the unseen spiritual realm. So yeah, give me a place to turn within to the Christ within. So basically you're saying that if you were Snoop Dogg, you would call Jesus Christ Jizzle the Drizzle? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, who knows? Oh, goodness. So, yes, finding that uh, higher power, you know, that's one of the first things that happened to me in the 12-step program. And I've talked on this program before about how I did that. But after beginning to coming, well, what does our second step say? Came to believe. Okay, so that's all we have to do at that point is come to believe, right? And then after that, we start to put that belief into action by turning our will in our lives over to the care of that higher power. And to me, that third step was the beginning of being in relationship with that power. So it's not just finding the power, it's then forging a relationship with that power. And um, these things are so hard to describe in human language because they're things that are experienced spiritually, right? You have a spiritual experience and then you try to describe it to someone. It sort of doesn't make sense and it starts to sound very strange, Yeah. but um, it's, you know, and in unity, we, we really stress that God is something that is experienced individually. We may have common ways that we experience that, but we also may experience it in very different ways. Um, but we talk about it as a presence and a power. And so for me, it was um, encountering that presence and that power through prayer, mostly prayer at that point. I didn't do a lot of meditation and early recovery. Um, I do now, but it was in- encountering that power and uh, finding it to be an unconditionally loving presence and power. And that's what I needed because I felt rotten inside. So I needed to find that power that loved me unconditionally. And again, that sounds like it's coming from without, but it's it's both without and within. The whole thing is that it's bigger than me, bigger than just my material ego Michelle self. And so as I began to work on forging that relationship, um, and we talk, you know, a lot in recovery about spending time in prayer, uh, you know, 
it's a prayerful program, the third step prayer was, you know, life changing for me. And as I began to do that practice and spending time in that presence, I began to forge a relationship with that power. And it was a loving, trusting relationship. And that is what really changed my life so that um, I wasn't alone anymore. I didn't have to figure everything out on my own. I could, whenever I had a problem or a decision or simply felt crappy about myself, I could turn within, as you said, and encounter this presence that loved me unconditionally. And, you know, the first, well, it still happens really. Every time I feel that, actually really feel that presence, I find tears streaming down my face because it's, it's so, it's so intense and it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful. It doesn't happen to me all the time, but even if it's happened to you once or twice in your life, you don't forget it. And um, it's, it's a thing that stays with you. It's always stayed with me. Um, and so I could begin to live my life from that place, knowing that I was unconditionally loved and accepted and supported by the higher power. And yeah. um, that's, that's spiritual living. You know, I find that language is both a bridge and a barrier, right? It can be. And I, I, I think that you and I are on the same page with this. I try not to get too stuck on the words, yeah. right? Because if I'm, if I'm getting stuck on the words, then I've taken my vision off of the spirit itself, yeah. which is wordless. And so whereas somebody might, you know, conceive of the divine as a as in the sort of in the third person, you know, the majesty of the Grand Canyon, you can experience the divine and the beauty of the clouds in the ocean. And that's all true. And that might be someone's sort of go-to image for yeah. the divine. That's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, I like to think that I could um, have options there where that true, that absolutely true. And at the same time, this, you know, experiencing the spirit within as we're talking about and, and letting the language sort of be a bridge to an experience of the divine and not um, a barrier so much, which it can be. Mm -hmm. um, so another way I found the spiritual program uh, super helpful is it gave me of what I think of as a community of fellow travelers. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm thinking about a home group. Right. Yeah. A 12 step home group. Uh, is a group of people coming together for with a singleness of purpose, uh, lots of different life experiences and lots of different views. You know, I've yes. been in a home group with with agnostics and with you know very traditional uh, fundamentalist Christians and with you know people who were sort of non-committal uh, one way or the other, and then some new thought like like me and uh, others in unity and and some people who were kind of a combination of those things, which I always found um, delightful. Uh, but having a community of fellow travelers on this sobriety path, which really has become a life path, is a one way that a spiritual program um, of recovery has really helped me. Another related way is it gave me what I call a trusted advisor, yeah. right? In the form of a sponsor. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that everything that person says is, is um, God's eternal truth period to end. It means that that's a person that's further down this road than I, and they have wisdom that I am still developing. And so I can turn to that person for assistance with, you know, Hey man, I'm feeling like this or, um, 
you know, I'm not sure what to do or, or whatever. And, you know, wherever two or more are gathered, you know, there's more wisdom between any two of us, I think, than in any uh, individual person. And so, yeah. uh, you know, having a 12-step a, a sponsor, we call it, or more broadly, a trusted advisor along the way is something that a spiritual program of recovery has brought into my life that has helped me a great deal, a great yes. deal. Um on my my own sobriety path. Yeah, I found the same thing that the group was so important to me in early recovery, especially. Um, you know, this is a different way of living life that isn't the way the majority of folks live. And so when we're trying to make these big changes in our lives, it helps to be surrounded by other folks who are also trying to live that type of a spiritual life. Otherwise it can be it can feel like swimming upstream all the time. You know, and so it's really helpful to surround ourselves with, you know, it could be the recovery group, it could be folks from a unity church, it could be, you know, a meditation group, whatever, as long as there are like minded individuals that you can surround yourself with um, to reinforce, you know, I feel like the world is sort of always trying to tear us away from our spiritual path and, or, you know, yeah. the, let's say the material the material world is is um, competing for our attention. Let's put it that way, and so it can help to be supported by others who are um, walking this path with us. And boy, you do you learn so much from folks in the group. You know, there's just so much wisdom in there. And like you mentioned, a sponsor and a sponsor. You know, their main main uh, job, so to speak, is to help us through the 12 steps, you know, yeah, somebody who has guide. done the 12 steps before and can help us move through them. And what a gift that is to have that, that person, especially doing those, those middle steps, those fourth, fifth steps, you know, of um, sharing those things that we find with another person, that having that person listen to my inventory and give me unconditional acceptance was one of the most profound and beautiful things that anyone's ever done for me in life. So I agree with you. The group is so helpful. Yeah. And the steps as a framework for growth and my sponsors saved me from untold grief many, many times. I have to say. <laughs> um, so, okay. We have said a whole lot on this topic. So let's step way back if we can and see if we can find a simple way to sum it all up. Good luck to us. So oh, Reverend Michelle, in a nutshell, I'm going to throw this at you. Uh, what does it mean? You know, if someone walked up to you and you had uh, 30 seconds, what does it mean to work a spiritual program of recovery? So I would say what I said earlier in the program that it is a spiritual program. There's no aspect of the program which is not spiritual, but we need to differentiate the word spiritual from religious. You know, so spiritual meaning pertaining to our spirit as opposed to the material world. This is a program that is about our spirit, um, our ourselves, our feelings, our emotions, our, you know, our spiritual lives. And those are the things that we are tending to. And so it, 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 it is that through and through. Um, that's just the nature of the program. And then uh, developing that understanding of in relationship with a higher power, that is very personal and can be whatever it is to someone and probably will change over time. That's the wonderful thing is you don't have to believe in anyone else's higher power or anyone else's God. Um, you can allow yourself to discover that on your own. That's the beauty of it. It's a mystical program, right? Because it puts us in direct contact with the God of our own understanding. So um, 
And then, of course, you know, it's spiritual because after we've worked on ourselves, then it becomes helping others. And that's, a, you know, we find that by helping others, we help ourselves. And that's also. Yeah, part I, of the I like that a lot. And I found that to be part of my own. If I if it were possible, it's probably not, you know, in a nutshell to try and address this. What does it mean to work a spiritual program? As we we're saying, turn within, you know, try. Uh, turning within for divine guidance, I would call it. And then there's this phrase that, that you started to point at that I love in our program, trust God, clean house, help others. Yes. Man, if that doesn't sum it up, I don't know what does. Um, I really find helpful the concept of turning it over. You yes. know, maybe I can't, but God can, yes. that kind of thing, turn it over. And to be teachable, you know, to be mm -hmm. helpable. Yeah. I don't need to be the teacher. I had a wonderful home group member that used to say, who made me the teacher? You know, because <laughs> she knew that she had to ask herself that. I was like, dang, that is a good question. Yeah. And I need to ask myself that too. Who made me the teacher? How? Yeah. Why? Maybe I can just sit here and be quiet and be the student. So you're pointing towards humility, which could be a topic for a whole other show. Also oh a very goodness. spiritual concept of yeah. being humble. Well, we'd like to give you an affirmation that sort of incorporates all of this and can help you to take these concepts within. So our affirmation today is, by trusting God, doing my inner work, and serving others, I create a life I love to live. I, I love the ending of that, a life I love to live. Yes. Not just a life without alcohol, which is yeah. might how it began. By trusting God, doing my inner work, and serving others, I create a life that I love to live. Well, it has happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we're grateful for it. We hope you found something in all of our rattling on that will be genuinely <laughs> helpful to you in your own recovery. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, of course, again for our discussion. And thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. And listeners, if you'd like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you, as always, to join us again next week, Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.